This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink, all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. And then we go to the War Council, which is much less cheery than the last one, because half their forces are gone. Yeah, only half? Well, they say half. I know, but they're like, half the Dothraki are gone. I'm like, no, we saw 10,000 Dothraki berserkers charge off into the night. We saw four dudes come. Well, yeah. My name is Joe Gross. I am the film and culture critic for the Austin American Statesman. And I'm Phil Jankowski, City Hall reporter slash giant nerd. And we are the hosts of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season, which is a podcast series examining the final season of Game of Thrones over the next six weeks. We are going to be talking about all things Game of Thrones, which means spoilers and adult themes. So be warned. This is Joe Gross. This is Phil Jankowski. And you are listening to Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. And we are on episode four. Which is known as, it's called The Last of the Starks. Yeah. Before we get going on the recap, I just want to say, this episode was way too bright. (laughs) So many vivid colors. Yeah, it was very, very easy to see. I was not wild about this. I loved it. Yeah. And I think the people who feel strongly on, there are people who feel, there are people who feel strongly on both sides. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my, I mean, my biggest beef was that it was a lot of telling, not showing, and they had to get through about a billion pages of exposition. I disagree that that was even exposition. I think that was just more characters having moments with other characters. And I thought it was a very wordy episode. I'll give you that. But we're also talking about this comes after an episode that probably had a script that literally had like like two pages of actual dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think felt, it was it well felt, earned. Yeah, it felt it might have felt wordier than it actually was because yeah. it was near near silent last yeah. week. All right, let's get into it. We open with funeral pyres being lit. There are a lot of dead to dispose of. And we have, you know, short character moments where uh, we see Jorah and... And we kind of get last moments with sort of each one of the characters that died. And everyone kind of gets paired up with who, you know, the person that they're closest with. Danny and Jorah, Sansa and Theon, Arya and Beric, Sam and Ed, John and Lyanna. She was kind of like, who do we pair him up with? But you got to remember, she was the one that basically said, like, you are the king of the north. And everyone was like, this little girl is right. One one of the my favorite actually right off the bat it was what possibly my favorite moment in the whole episode is uh, Sansa pinning the Stark pin on Theon. Yeah, that was um, great. Very emotional scene and basically ensures that the uh, Winterfell location of Claire's boutique is sold out of that pin for uh, the rest. of Yeah, the I don't think you're gonna have, you're gonna have a hard time finding that. You're gonna have, yeah. have a hard time finding Hand of the King pins. It's, uh, <laughs> They're, run, they're going to be running a little low. John gives his little memorial talk. Yeah. And uh, Kit Harrington, I don't know what he was doing with his voice. I, uh, I noticed that, It was too. very weird. It was just like, are you trying to sound tougher than you are? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of an interesting choice, because at the moment, fans seem to be like, Jon Snow ain't. 
because he's just been kind of passive the past couple of episodes and made some terrible choices. And he and Danny are getting well, he less did, he appealing. He did yell at a dragon and might still believe that he killed it by yelling at it's it. It's possible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dinner's a little grim in the evening until the wine starts flowing. Uh, yeah. the, the funniest scene is Gendry coming up to the hound and is all like, hey, you seen Arya? And uh, the hound's like, People are literally still, like, the corpses are literally still on fire, dude. Uh-huh. And Gendry's like, well, I'm not trying to do, any, and the hound is like, I don't, what the hell do I care? Have we met? Yeah. I, you know, they're dead, you're not, go for it. I like this scene. It's a very extended scene in the HBO reveal behind the episode. They mentioned that there's 17 pages of script for this. And also a little tidbit is that the showrunners, David Benioff and Dan Weiss, appear as wildlings. Oh, um, that's terrible. But that, what I like about this scene is there's a lot of, you know, great dialogue between characters. Maybe too much for you, Joe. But the, I like that a lot of it is sort of about a series of looks. You yes, know, you totally. have you have the the probably the most important one is you've got Tormund sitting there talking about John, his his boy, and he's like, John, you could be who rides a dragon, a madman or a king. Sansa is just looking over there, like, did you just say the K word? Because by the way, like, also not cool to be talking about madmen riding dragons around. Well, yeah, night. that was an interesting catch. I also mm-hmm. thought that you know, Danny trying to prove that she's a canny leader just straight up bribes Gendry with a with a title yeah. and Gendry's like fine yes i why not hey, I, man, this is great it's a well earned promotion if it, you ask me no it's totally yeah <laughs> my, dude, my dude put in the work yeah he totally put in the work <laughs> um but yeah Tormund has kind of an epic scene here very emotional party for her torment yeah he sort of points out how much everybody loves john and danny and varus are just sort of like huh yeah that's a really good point danny uh, gets up and leaves kind of after seeing that you kind of get the feeling that she's feeling isolated and you watch her leave this room and it's great i'm so happy that varus is back in the game because you see him just be like Ooh, yeah, and what's like, going on there? Varus, Varus can see the whole board. He's like, I sense my intrigue senses going, yeah, going through the roof. Totally. <laughs> um, although I did think it was a bit of the see, like John's a hero. We keep telling you that John's a hero. <laughs> Someday you'll believe it. And yeah. also, I would like to point out that in the like kind of confusing truth or drink game, yeah, Pod drank when Tyrion said are you a virgin? And you had to drink if the thing was true. Yeah. And Pod drank, which I think like confirms my theory that he didn't actually sleep with the prostitutes. And so he, he got the, he didn't have to pay them. I think you're a hundred percent wrong. I think and just, let me, let me tell you why, because yes. right after that sort of scene where Tormund kind of gets his heart broken, we see Tormund get a girl approaches him to console him. And he's like, all right, I'll be fine. Then you see the hound, a, a woman approaches him and he basically barks at her and yeah. she runs off. She runs away and you have Sansa sit down with the hound. If you look in the background, you see pod with the girl that he was just smiling with. And then you see that girl that was just with the hound walk up and he's just like, Hey, you want to jump in on this party? I swear it is you there. Know, that's an interesting idea. 22nd minute into the episode, I did a freeze frame and I laughed my ass off. No, you may, you make a fair point. I can see him not wanting to embarrass Brienne because he adores her. I just think he was like, whoa, this just got super awkward. And it's just like gulp, gulp, gulp. I mean, that, that was my reading. Yeah, it. that's fair. 
I did like the exchange between the Hound and Sansa where he gives this like really unpleasant description of her entire life. And Sansa's like, yeah, see, here's the thing. Every man that's ever abused me, I've had killed or killed myself. Yeah. You are no longer scary to me because yeah. I am... I'm one of the few real leaders at this point because she has, she's one of the few people who understands that like a big part of leadership is governance is actually like having to be there and thinking about the people on the ground. You can't just fight wars and expect, you know, your citizens to just be fine with it. Yeah. He acknowledges that he just says you've changed little bird. Yeah. And then we see Gendry try to propose to Arya. And Arya is like, you're a great guy, but absolutely not. It's That's, not you. It it's is me. <laughs> yeah, it's it, totally. You know, keep, keeps him on red, as the uh, meme had put it this morning. Jamie and Brienne. Oh, just, to, just to step back to that. Yeah. I just wanted to, there, there's one thing that I wanted to point out, which is one, one of the things that she says in that scene, I'm not a lady. I never have been. That's not me. That harkens all the way back to season one, an exchange that she has with Ned Stark, where he's basically says to her you'll be a lady one day you'll marry a, a totally. powerful lord you'll have lots of princes and princesses and she basically says to him verbatim that's not me yeah kind of like walks away but anyways let's, and it's let's i on. mean and it's interesting that you know sansa in season one really was into that vision of herself as a you know a queen of she'll marry a prince and have his kids and yeah. that will be her that job dream. that is not how it has worked out no but she's discovered agency and you know horrible things happen but oh know, yeah and she's of, you know and she's a spectacular leader yeah and is another one who can see the whole board yeah and there aren't a lot of those folks around danny can't John can't. None of them can. None of them can. Varys kind of can. Varys Varys definitely sort of shot up in the power rankings this uh, this episode. Uh, So Jamie and Bran sleep together, and then we get that we get that scene, and then we cut to John. You know, who's off listening to the Smiths when Danny shows up, and he tries to say something about Jorah, and she's like, "I don't want to talk about Jorah, but you know, I really love you, and I am struck once again." That and again, you may feel differently. No, I agree with these you on two. This have point. no chemistry. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent After watching just like a little, well, just a freaking second of John and Egret. Granted, he did go on to marry that yeah, woman, but yeah. just going back and seeing them on the screen just for a second, you're like, oh boy, that that's chemistry. This is this is no not. Chemistry. And I know this is going. We may get some cards and letters. We have to confront the fact that Amelia Clark is not a very good actress. Now that is no, no one hundred, and we'll get to it later because it, it comes <laughs> into the. But but you are you are a hundred percent. Oh God, she's getting hard to watch. I did enjoy their exchange where he was like, "I don't want to be the king," and she's like, "It kind of doesn't matter if you appeal to the masses." And she says, look, just keep this secret to yourself. And he says, I got to tell my family. And she's like, absolutely not. Yeah, she she says, I have never begged for anything. And I am begging you not to do this. And he's just like, no, we'll be fine. It'll but be then fine. that sort of begging that, you know, that ask becomes almost an ultimatum at one point where he's like, she's like, I've told you what you need to do in order for us to be fine. Yeah. And in this scene, he's just sort of dumb as a rock. And yeah. it's clear that she has zero interest in ruling with anybody else. Yeah. And then we go to the war council, which is much less cheery than the last one because half their forces are gone. Yeah. Only half? At least half. Well, they say half. I know, but and that's that's it, what it, that's what I'm sitting there thinking. They're like, especially the Dothraki. They're like, yeah, like half the Dothraki are gone. And I'm like, no, we saw ten thousand Dothraki berserkers charge off into the night. We saw four dudes come. Well, back. yeah, I thought that was actually some like not great storytelling on the filmmakers' part. 
this is a, another example of telling, not showing that like exactly what you said. We saw we saw the Dothraki get clobbered. Everybody watching the show thought they saw the Dothraki get clobbered. And then now they're saying we got about half of them left. Yeah. So uh, that's like is, we have 10,000 men left. It's like, y- I don't know if you do. Who, yeah. Uh, it looked like you had 37. Yeah. <laughs> Danny is convinced that she can convince people of King's Landing that she is a better ruler than Circe. Tyrion doesn't want to actually destroy King's Landing because he remembers the Mad King and she does not. John gives some terrible advice about surrounding the city that mostly relies on having two dragons and we know how that turns out. Sansa, again, being the only ruler who is actually thinking about the people she is ruling, says we got to give the army a break because they're exhausted. And John does, and this is another like sort of wonderfully Godfather esque moment when John is like Sonny Corleone here, where he says, "Actually, I'm with my girlfriend on this." And Sansa and Arya give him this look like, "Never go against the family again." Like, yeah. what the hell is your problem? Yeah. And then Danny gives her some speech, and Arya and Sansa are like, "Hey, John, we need a second with you. We we need to talk. we need to talk." And it's interesting, Arya, again, I agree that she's not somebody who can necessarily see the whole board, but she's a good tactician and she's a good strategist. And she says, look, you're absolutely correct that we needed Danny and her forces. Yeah, Sansa's like, wait, what? However, <laughs> your loyalties should not be divided. Right. Uh, you're a Stark. And, and and then he, about that. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then John's like, so I'm going to tell you something very important. And I thought that scene was actually very funny where Bran's like, it's up to you, dude. And it's very like, I liked it. Can I, you leave me out of this? I, no, I liked, I liked it because he just, he kind of like Bran signals that, yes, I have the information. I'm, it's not, I'm not going to make the choice for you. Right. I mean, that's basically no, what he right. says. He says, it's your, it's your choice. It's your choice. And then I, I did laugh when John sort of turns to Brandon and is like, all right, you're up. I can't do this. Yeah. Let's <laughs> talk about them. He, he's like, okay, I'll tell you something. You got to swear that, you know, you won't tell anyone about it. And Arya's like, yes, on my word as a Stark, you'll do it. And Sansa's like, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> and that resolves oddly, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, so like meanwhile. Yeah, uh, Jamie and Tyrion are hanging out. They're right. talking about Brienne. And then Bronn rolls up with that crossbow. And I was one of those people who was like, how did he even get into Winterfell? I thought that too. <laughs> That's been inconsistent. Just, come on. There's a part in season seven where Arya is like trying to get into Winterfell and has these two Goomba uh, yeah, she gets, guards. She gets stopped by the guards. Yeah, and, but like Bronn just... He just waltzes right, right, yeah, and in. he gets into Same like happens with Jamie, a freaking Lannister. Yeah, and it, it's, like nobody it's inconsistent, and it's it you know well, nobody nobody right. stops these guys. Yeah, the actor who plays Braun got it's their his, white like, privilege, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, and, well, yes, yeah. So Braun gets his big speech where he's just like, "Look, I'm here to kill you. Your sister told me to kill you. You people are a mess. And what are you going to give me not to kill you? Because I could kill you both right now." Yeah. Tyrion's like, so about that deal we made that literally nobody watching this remembers where I said, if I remember, well, yeah, but you're you. All right, fine. People remember. I didn't remember where he says, tell me if somebody's trying to kill me, I'll give you double whatever they're offering. 
And then you find out that High Garden is essentially double River Run, which I thought was very funny. It's true, though. It's it really is. Is like, it like a book thing, or it, it's just like I mean, oh, rip, I guess they're very rich. Yeah, River yeah. Run is kind of just like it's in this sort of marshy part of it. It's a formidable castle. It was the seat of the Tollys, Caitlin Stark's family. Just kind of there. Yeah, but. High Garden is like it's the Tyrell, it's the Tyrell Castle. Just that realm is far more rich. It's very, very fertile land, and gotcha. that's how the Tyrells essentially became after the Lannisters ran out of gold in their mines. The Tyrells became the most wealthy house based I off see. of their agriculture. Gotcha. So it is more than it's two a good times deal. River yeah. Run. So Bronn agrees to it and says, all of you absolutely suck, by the way. All of your houses are ridiculous. This is stupid, and I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of great. And I did have to laugh that the Starks have all managed to stay in one place for exactly one battle. And then they all like, these people sort of like each other, but they all have things to do. And we get the first indication of that when the Hound is leaving and who should start following him but Arya Stark. And Joe, this makes me so happy. That that they're together again? The, they're the best duo that this they're show great. has yeah, offered. They should have a buddy cop movie. Such, where, yes. Be yeah, in a van solving mysteries. I see. I saw her roll up on that horse and I was like, this, this is, is like what I need. Yeah, this is actual chemistry. Yeah. Like, this is not a, and that's one of the things that's wonderful about them is it's not a sexual relationship at all. No. And they're just really good friends because they're both killers. Yeah. And they kind of get each other. Yeah. And, you know, the hound's like, I've got unfinished business in King's Landing. The air horns go off all over oh my a, God. A, all I, over I the world. I thought of you. I was like, Phil's um, losing his mind And then, right like, now. yeah. And then Arya's like, I've got unfinished business, too. Yeah. They both, like, pull out their list. One says the hound on it really big. The other one says Cersei Lannister on it really yeah. big. And I they're like, you, you know what? I think we can be friends. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, have you ever heard of the Clegane Bowl and is like, don't care, gotta kill Cersei. Yeah, and immediately gets a little little bit of comedy off the bat when he asks her, if I get injured, are you gonna leave me to die again? And she's just like, yep. Yeah, and he kind of laughs it off. This is how we roll. <laughs> um, you're still on my list. Let's not be stupid. Yeah. I did like the interaction between Sansa and Tyrion because... She asks a really important question. Why do you like her so much? Yeah, you're afraid yeah, of her. Yeah, that I made a Is joke. That eureka moment. Yeah, I made a joke in the recap about how it reminded me of the scene in A Few Good Men where they're trying to leave the interview with Jack Nicholson's character and Demi Moore won't let Tom Cruise leave the interview. And Nicholson sort of looks at them and says, Danny, it just hit me. She outranks you. And that's the sort of revelation that Sansa has is like, it's just occurred to me that you're afraid of her. And this isn't the adoration of a loyal subject. Like, you find her genuinely scary. And he doesn't have an answer for that. No. But, but she, she has a question. What yeah. if there was someone else, someone better? Yeah, and she's just like, ah, it, let's just do this. And tells him, which I thought was also kind of funny because there is no secret that is safe with Tyrion. Like, that guy just talks. Yeah. And so that's a very strategic, like, release of information. Yeah, it's a Littlefinger-esque move by Sansa. Totally. Who mastering the game. Yeah, she's she's gotten real good. People on Twitter seem to go nuts that John sort of just like dismisses ghosts. Oh yeah, this is this is by far everyone's the 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 biggest criticism of it. Forget a Starbucks cup accidentally ending up in the in the feast. It is everybody's all, very tired at this part of the shoot. It's it, fine. It is all about John and ghost. Yeah, he just sort of like says he doesn't even say bye to ghost. He's just like take my yeah, dog. The whole thing is please why don't why don't you go pet ghost? Poor ghost who's had like his ear chopped off and just looks just. 
And they even put in like a whelp from the dog, and it's yeah. heartbreaking. My notes just had a big ghost written in all caps, and then a big frowny face it's with very, tears. It was very sad. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter said, why am I so emotional about a CGI dog? <laughs> we check in with Sam, who is somehow not dead. Yeah. And his girlfriend is pregnant, and that's very exciting. I like I, how he tries to explain sex to John. Yeah. And Gilly's was, just like, he knows. Yeah. He gets it. I have an important question. Where the hell was little Sam? I don't care, <laughs> to be honest. I, I like, was extreme. I found that very upsetting. I'm like, don't you have a son? I'm just that, like, you don't care. I, it's just like, I don't all know, right. Joe. Like, of all the things, it's like, well, it was you just, could just like, so the maids got well, the kid no, right now? Here, but here, here's my problem with it, is that they have established Sam as very loyal to this woman who has a son that is not his, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, that's that's a very fraught thing in this universe that like parentage and lineage is a big deal. And Sam never really cared. And so Gilly's always had this kid following her around. And I'm like, did the zombies in the crypt get him? And we're just not talking about it? What the hell is going on here? But I can sort of understand why you wouldn't necessarily care. This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by the Alamo Drafthouse. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. We then cut to the small fleet sailing south to Dragonstone. I love this. Missandei and Grey Worm are like holding hands and you're like, oh yeah, clearly everything is is going to work out just fine for these kids. This is going to go great. Varys and Tyrion. We get a Varys and Tyrion scene, which yes. we haven't had for a while. Booyah! Is totally what I great. Say to that. Total fan service, and and they have this sort of great conversation where Varys is like, "Look, he has a better claim to the throne because of patriarchy, and people like him." And Tyrion's like, "He loves our queen," and Varys is like. She's his aunt. What is wrong with you people? Yeah, and he's like, well, she thinks it's okay. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it's, it, I love that Varys is the one who's like, this is messed up. I don't care if the Targaryens do it. That's wrong. Yeah. And he's the only one who is visibly getting nervous about the Mad Queen thing. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, it, Targaryen, it's... and, and which is a good segue because as we know from science, incestuous relationships breed children that are not mentally stable. And like, this is a known thing. And I always thought that was just sort of a given. I mean, you've, you've read the books. I haven't. I always sort of assumed that that was why the Targaryens were a little nuts because yeah. of interbreeding. That That is definitely what is considered the, the major part of it. We'll get more into it after we finish up the recap. Yeah. Um, but I do um, like, I did my, one of my favorite lines is one though that Varys says in this one where, you know, they're counting up who knows as the, the most incendiary piece of information in the show. And they're like it was you know two then three and four now eight and Varys says it's no longer a secret it's information yeah which basically he's saying i am a gossip and guess what this is some hot goss yeah yeah and it's it is a politically sensitive piece of information mm-hmm. that sort of needs to get out there yeah he says that within he was like within days like a hundred people will know yeah and it reminded me of the um <laughs> The West Wing in uh, season two, when they reveal that the president has MS and they're counting up the number of people who know. And it's like, if you haven't seen the West Wing, the president has MS and has kept it from the public. And there's a whole sequence of episodes where one of the staff members basically puts it together. And it just it reminded me of that, because at one point they count up the number of people who know. And it's like, if 17 people know this secret, it's no longer a secret. Like this is no longer a covert operation. Anyway, all of this is 
suddenly very academic because, and we'll talk about the terrible military strategy here. The small fleet finds out the hard way that Circe has been spending her time on money on enormous dragon-busting crossbows and mounting them on Euron's fleet, which I got to say, those ships look awesome. Yeah, they do. His ship especially. His ship is great. It's got the extra sails on it. It's pretty dope looking. It's the Darth Vader TIE fighter from from Star Wars. So this is very upsetting because, yeah, basically, how do you forget about the Iron Fleet after they've basically been decimating your fleet, you know, how many times now? And then he just comes out of nowhere and basically... Frags, Ragel, the beautiful green dragon. Our emo pirate returns. He's laughing and delighting in destruction once more. Everyone sitting here saying, how the heck do you discount this fleet? How do you just... Danny, why aren't you a mile up in the air scouting? How did you not see them? Yeah, Yeah, they're coming just straight at you. Like Everyone knows you're going to head to Dragonstone, but... You yeah, know, that was an unfortunate suspension of disbelief. If we disbelief. can get behind something to hate in this episode, that's that's it for me. I mean, I thought the visuals of this scene and the sequence on the ship, the sort of mini one-shot following Tyrion around, I thought was really fantastic that was looking. And the CGI of the dragon falling, I thought was spectacular. You can see it almost kind of struggling to try to fly, but it perishes. It was a, it was a nice moment of... Oh, the odds can change like that. Yeah. Because it takes about 15 seconds to take out that dragon. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, about 50% of Danny's importance suddenly vanishes. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Um, It's like, well, if you're down two dragons. Right. uh, Yeah. Uh, We see Circe. For the first time. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. She, she's looking very smug. Kyburn says, our message has been received. I'm going to talk more about that in a second because I was very confused. Circe is extremely proud of herself, as she should be, for basically outthinking everyone else and figuring out if you have a dragon butt, like it's basically an arms race. Like, you know, they have an advantage. How do we take out their main weapon and you know kyburn a couple seasons back finds the giant crossbow and was like this is how you do it you yeah. fire a giant crossbow bolt he's out. made improvements from the first time that we saw it used in the loot train battle the ones that he have are noticeably bigger um, oh that's right yeah, they yeah, are yeah. moving on a swivel they've got whole teams working on them they've got these cool metal arrowheads that if you like look short of them they kind of expand as they as they go up and they're basically built to rip a dragon yeah they're, they're, they work they're, on ships too yeah they're dra- they're dragon busters they're and, sweet and cersei is clearly still repulsed by Euron, but essentially says to him, yes, I will have your child. And I'm having it. And I'm having it. Yeah. And Kyburn gives him the nod like, yeah, she's with a child. All right. This is totally true. I know these things. I'm Kyburn. Yeah. Cersei makes a very, (laughs) totally. Cersei makes a very rude comment to Missande, who's now her prisoner, so much for the breaker of chains. Yeah. uh, Which I thought was actually kind of a cheap joke for this. It was a good dig. It was not creative, (laughs) but it was a good one. No. And then then we go to the uh, war room where we see Varys trying to talk Danny off the ledge. Yeah. You know, your army's a mess. You don't have a dragon. You cannot go straight at Cersei and win. And Danny's like, they have Missande. And this is where I said, wait a minute. How do they know that? And I guess we're supposed to know that when Cersei says, did they get our message? It was a literal message to them that they have Missande. I I found that mystifying. You say maybe somebody, I don't like to speculate on the show because you're right. I was just very, I was just confused. And this was one of the moments where I was like, for a show that prided itself on this level of detail, this is feeling very rushed in some ways. And I understand that they've only got a limited amount of runway to get this thing done, but just sort of basic like storytelling, wait, how do we know this piece of information? 
Yeah, it just it's just the sort of thing that takes you out of it. Tyrion, Again, I had no problem with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, everybody has a different suspension of disbelief. Like, that's the problem with writing these sort of shows is that everybody in the audience's suspension of disbelief is a little bit different. And for some people, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. And for some people, it's like, yeah, I don't care. But that's that's different for everybody. But uh, anyway, sorry, that was a bit of... That was a bit of a obnoxious Dennis Miller-esque rant. Uh, Tyrion has an idea. Offer Cersei her life if she surrenders. And Danny is like, wait, what? And he convinces her sort of in a kind of like, hey, I know that she doesn't care about commoners. Why don't we try to make the case that you do? And if she doesn't surrender, we will somehow let the commoners know that, like, they were given an offer to not die and your queen didn't care. Yeah, Danny's like, yeah, she's not going to take it, but we've got to wait two weeks for the army from the north to come. So why not? Yeah. And then Varys and Tyrion have. And this is another this is another example of this is the one, one thing that I did like. And don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of two actors in a room just talking that one of my favorite things about drama is just that thing occurring because you get to see what actors are made of when they have like the most simple thing to do and which is just talk but there were a lot of them in this episode and it felt it got a little repetitive this was Varys's time to shine and sort of like set out his worldview there are a lot of worldviews being set out in this episode Bronn gives a little speech about his, which is all the great houses suck. I'm going to wait till you destroy yourselves. and I'm going to have high garden. And Varys is like, look, I have served with like four or five terrible monarchs at this point. They were all terrible in completely different ways. One was nuts. One was simply didn't care. One was Joffrey. One was Joffrey's brother. And one was Circe. And they've been all terrible. And my whole deal is harm reduction. Like, how can I make sure most of the population doesn't live lives of total garbage when I know that their leaders don't care about them? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, he says that he's a servant of the realm and he's, especially after being shot down, the sort of quickly, the, the siege idea that was at the beginning on the table is now off the table and it's become clear that Danny is hell-bent on, she's throw, she doesn't have any more concerns about collateral damage. We do we should remember that from the get-go, she wanted to basically burn King's Landing to a crisp and has been getting talked down from it several times and now that they've finally failed, he's very much saying, I do what is best for the realm and I'm not sure that she is best for the realm and we start getting into a real sort of tense exchange between him and Tyrion. They're not saying completely what their intentions are, but it's very much implied. You know, he basically Varys says that I have pretty much made up my mind. Jon Snow is the better king. He's a more measured person, a reluctant ruler, and maybe that's what you need out of a king. And then, you know, Tyrion says, you know, after he makes that speech, at what point do we stick with the person that we said we were going to be, you know, right. what? how much does loyalty actually matter? And Varys basically replies, loyalty is not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the health of the realm and saving the lives of thousands of people that might perish. And then basically Tyrion says to him, well, if we're going to back John, what do we do about Daenerys? And Varys just gives him this withering look and says nothing, but you know exactly what he means. Yeah. And Tyrion begs him, please don't, he says. And then Varys just basically says, I've said all I can and walks out. And you're like, 
oh my god is Varys gonna plan the assassination yeah. of, of Daenerys because that's what that looks like yeah I, and I, what is Tyrion gonna do about it all right Brienne tells Jamie about the ambush and the dead dragon sort of we see Jamie moping a little bit and then he leaves and Bran is devastated and Jamie's like look I'm a terrible person the end I loved your your little mention of the Sam Smith song in your recap because I I was thinking the Adele song but I think the Sam Smith song is perfect but I also thought about this that I was like I was like is Tormund still around somebody page Tormund (laughs) like (laughs) it's like my girl is vulnerable and, and like maybe maybe you can slide on in there so the Small army rolls up on King's Landing with Danny, Varys, Tyrion, and a very annoyed Grey Worm. And we see on the King's Landing parapet, we see Euron, Masande, Cersei, Kyburn, and a bunch of the uh, dragon rocket thingies. And they meet hand-to-hand, as it were. Tyrion walks towards Kyburn, who comes out, and Tyrion basically says, Hey, you should surrender. And Kyburn says, You first. And Tyrion says, I don't want a massacre. And Kyburn is basically like, I don't really care and (laughs) Tyrion's just kind of like can I please speak to your manager (laughs) yeah and kind of a ballsy move just walks right by him and starts walking up everybody draws the arrows this is a good example of Tyrion's misguided faith in Cersei yeah that you know I can still talk to her as a sibling when She's made it abundantly clear that's not true. She has, but I feel like he gets he gets an A for effort here. You know, mm-hmm. this is I think he sees in the context of what's just happened between him and Varys that he sort of sees that like if we're gonna go this route that something awful might happen to Daenerys. And he's like, I've gotta try one last time. I'm gonna plead to her, you know, face to face. Yeah. That's how I took it. And he comes at her from, you know, the appeal to his, I mean, he's always said, and this is established from the season mm-hmm. one forward, that she cares more about her children than herself and that he knows that she's pregnant, which is kind of funny moment when we cut to Euron, who's like, wait, what? Yeah, the, that's the real question there is, does does he actually perceive yeah. what this little nugget of information is? Is he putting two and two together? He's like, wait, only, I only just now found out that she's pregnant with my child. How does Tyrion know who hasn't been in contact with her period yeah and cersei looks upset for about half a second grabs masande the zombie mountain lops off her head not before she says the most incendiary word and basically sets it in motion masande the duolingo of of the game of thrones world says dracaris which is the you know what danny says when she wants the dragon to shoot out dragon fire um and basically says in one word burn them all yeah Tyrion realizes that he has made yet another bad decision gray worm looks like he's officially on team hound in the clegane bowl and danny looks like she's going to burn the entire city See, to the this ground. is the scene when you when I, when I was defending amelia clark earlier this is the scene where i thought this was just masterful acting you can see this you know look of rage on her face she doesn't see she doesn't say a thing mm-hmm. but it kind of really i thought it was just incredible and just what what a look i feel like a lot of the best acting on this show is done when when the actors aren't saying a single thing that's a reasonable point you would have been a wonderful silent film actor yeah. So, and it's also a great segue into, you know, what I wanted to talk about, which is basically to do a bit of a dive into the whole mad 
King. Oh yeah, thing. go for it. So that's really sort of one of the main things about this episode is that we're going is that is Danny slowly slipping into madness? As Joe, you said earlier, a lot of the belief is in this is all about you know these these the Targaryens. It's brother marrying sister, blah blah blah. You know, and so it's all sort of about the genetics creating the sort of madness within this within these people. Yeah, and so the Mad King, as everybody knows, is talking about Danny's father, Aerys Targaryen, who is willing to destroy all of King's Landing rather than surrender uh, mm-hmm. the throne in the face of certain defeat. But there's a history of madness to this family. In the books, when uh, Barristan Selmy joins the Team Dragon, you might remember him. He was the old Kingsguard guy yeah. that ended up getting killed in Marine. He tells Danny at one point that he had spoken with her grandfather about madness, and he said that in the Targaryen family, madness and greatness were two sides of the same coin. Every time a new Targaryen is born, the gods toss the coin in the air and the world holds its breath to see how it will land, which I just thought was a pretty sweet um, hmm. thing. Viserys is kind of believed to be insane. Remember her older brother who was a twit? He was alone. There was one, you know, just as an example, there was one of her ancestors who thought he could turn into a dragon by drinking wildfire. That didn't work. He died. And D.B. Weiss, just sort of in talking about Daenerys after the show, just kind of says... Daenerys is experiencing, and this is a direct quote, an almost unimaginable sense of anger and rage and vengeance. And so it really does beg the question. It looks like she is headed that way. What do you what do you think? Is it just is it madness or is it just anger? I think that's what the next episode will be about. Yeah. Is that you know, has Danny lost it and to what extent is she just extremely annoyed or has lost her mind? And again, like as you mentioned earlier, Varys is a man who believes in targeted assassination for the good of the kingdom. And, you know, he doesn't want to see a war, but he knows that if you take out one key leader, then you can prevent a whole lot of other death. And we got Braun running around there, too. Remember, he says that he's like, he's like, my fighting days are over. My killing days aren't, though. And he yeah. basically says he could, with a couple well-placed blows, he could, he could yeah. do some real damage with it looking like John and Danny, basically that, you know, e- even if there's no sort of chemistry there, looking like their sort of romance that was promised is over now. It kind of gets at what I thought was sort of the theme of, of this episode, which is quoting Ramsey Bolton from season three. If you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, this this is this is not going to end well. There's going to be. Yeah. Massive, massive loss. I mean, see several characters sort of reject it. Arya refusing her own happy ending with Gendry. John and Danny, as I said, a Miss Sandy and Grey Worm basically on that ship daring the gods every time they talk about their retirement. We saw how that worked out. And then Jamie sort of refusing his own happy ending, telling Brienne that that he knows Cersei is a hateful woman. She's hateful, and so am I, he says. And that sort of gets to another sort of thing that I wanted to speculate about is I thought that Jamie was saying that he was going down there to be with Cersei, that he's kind of realized he's he can't get over her, that mm. he's realizing that he's feeling guilty. As soon as he hears news about the war, he's thinking, I have to protect her. A lot of people think otherwise. I think... I think there are a couple of options. One, he sort of cuts it off with Brienne to get out, to, to make her dislike him. Yeah, so that she doesn't put on a suit of armor and freaking follow him. Right. 
I, I like that. I, I think he is not entirely sure what he's going to do. I yet. like that too. Yeah. I like that there's some gray area here. And if we can read the tea leaves, we get basically between D.B. Weiss and David Benioff and talking about this, that we get, you know, they don't say much. It, it sounds like one is saying when he hears what Cersei has done, this is that is a turning point for him. He has to take a real long and comfortable look at who he really is. Okay. And then David Benioff says as much as Jamie cares for Brienne and admires her and loves her, he's got almost an addiction to Cersei that he just can't break. And so like one of them, it sounds like he's saying this is a turning point, you know, after he hears what Cersei's done, he's got to end it. The other one's saying he's totally addicted to her. So I think this will be a pretty awesome sort of thing to explore in the last two episodes. And yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the next episode it's it's another 80 minute one yeah, but hopefully it, not the slog that you thought it was well i just it was just very chatty and mm, this one will not be i doubt this one will be again chatty. it's directed by miguel sapochnik the guy that does basically all of the war episodes like most recently episode three the long night uh-huh so i think we'll see a lot of action yeah totally yeah we i think we've got a couple of people now personally targeting Cersei for death, who are right outside of King's Landing. Possibly Jamie, definitely Danny, definitely Arya, possibly Tyrion, because he knows that he might know now that she's lost. Yeah. And truly does truly doesn't so. care. Possibly Varys, but he has a bigger concern with Danny right now. Yeah. And although I gotta say, I did love his, you know, we should have a leader who doesn't want it. And you're just, you know, you're reminded of presidential races. Like, do you really want somebody president who's who wakes up in the morning and says, I should be president. Yeah, I should be the most I should totally person. be I, should I deserve totally be president. This. Yeah. So what we do see in the very brief sort of next, you know, that next episode thing is we don't see much that really reveals anything. We see, you know, we see the remaining forces standing in sort of a face off against the golden company. There is one sort of ominous thing where Euron at the end looks towards the sky and we hear the shriek of a dragon which I think will you know awesome that needs to pay off yeah <laughs> but I wanted to talk just a second about the golden company since they've kind of gotten they haven't really been talked about and there is a bit of history to them and I'll, I'll be very brief on it they were founded by an offshoot of the house Targaryen they're roughly about a century old they are the largest army for hire in the city of Essos the show is, has said that you know, their strength is 20,000 men 2,000 horses, unfortunately no elephants. And no elephants. (laughs) And they are most famous for keeping all their contracts. Once they've signed a contract, they will will never go back on it. If nobody Mm. has come to them, or they've never accepted any sort of offer to say, as what sort of Tyrion did with Bronn, I'll double what what you're doing. Like, they won't do that. They don't play that way. And so, yeah, we get to look at these guys that are famed as sort of these very, very skilled assassins just to mention again, they're from Essos, so they know what the deal is with the Dothraki mm-hmm. um, facing off against this very beleaguered force from the yeah, north. Yeah, they're kind of a mess. All right, let's talk about who we think is going to die. You got any? You got oh, any geez. picks? I mean, at this point, specifically this next episode. Uh, this next episode. I mean, I think if we're going to get the Clegane Bowl in, in the next episode, either the Hound or the Mountain's got to go down. Yeah, I wrote down the Mountain. I think I, I think he will win, and I thought about putting down the Hound as well when I was thinking about this, but the Hound was... I mean, the Mountain was the very first one that yeah, came to mind. I mean, I think it's a little... I think it's a little dicey for Arya. Like, she might have had her big hero moment. We are 
you are just ticking them off. That's what I. I, I mean, that's who that, I got too. Yeah, I, I, I felt is, like shedding a tear as I as I uh, typed those four letters. This is not going to end but. well. And I think I love the idea of Varys going after Danny. Do you have? Did I put my picks down on, on no, here? You didn't, you didn't. It just says de- it just says death prediction. <laughs> I got. Varys, Varys number three for me as well. Yeah, so like I think it's either Varys or Danny in the next episode. I think it's uh, Varys is, yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you on the Varys. I think he's going to try to make a play on Danny and maybe Tyrion stops him. He'll either win, yeah, he'll either win or lose. Yeah. But yeah, oh, oh, and Braun. I don't think Braun. You don't think Braun's going to make it? Well, I think Braun and. Varys both had their big speeches in this episode. Like yeah. they've laid out what they believe, and I'm not sure there's that much runway left for them as characters. It's interesting so, that you mention that because they're almost diametrically opposed. Yeah, in, in, what, in their world, like, totally. Bronze it's all like, about I don't looking care. after number one. Yeah, Bronze like I don't, I don't care about you people. Like, I'm not fighting your fight. But they also have the interests of commoners in mind. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I think is interesting about Varys is he, Tyrion, where he's like, what is the realm? And Varys is like, you are born of privilege. I have observed privilege. These are very different things. And so Danny versus Varys also works on that level. I just got one more. I think you're on going down. He's going to be burned alive. One would hope. Yep. Thanks for listening to this episode of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. We will be back next week. Winner Die is hosted by Joe Gross and Phil Jankowski and produced, engineered, and edited by Jane Alexander for Austin 360, The Austin American Statesman, and Gatehouse Media. This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com.